The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in fast, rip-roaring rally. Socks thumbing their nose at the Fed and Chair Powell's plan to keep hiking rates with the mega-cap monsters uh, pinging fresh highs and IPO delivering a delicious returns on day one. Is this all a recipe for disaster or one for delight? Plus, nowhere to hide a new report on commercial real estate warning there are no safe havens left at all in this sector and no end in sight to this pain. He's got one name in particular that could fall as much as 40%. The man behind this report will join us at the bottom of the hour. And later, clean up in aisle three at Kroger's, a trade alert on Intel, and a magical month for investors in Delta. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live with the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Bono and Eisen, and Guy Adami. And we start off with what one of our traders calls the dumbfounding moves in the market. The S&P 500 seeming to shake off yesterday's hawkish Fed commentary, closing above the 4,400 mark for the first time in more than 13 months. The Dow rallying 430 points for its highest close of the year. The Nasdaq up more than a percent, bringing its gains since January to over 31 percent. And take a look at some of the stocks setting all-time highs today, from tech giants like Apple, Microsoft, and NVIDIA to old guard names like Oracle, Lennar, and Eli Lilly. Then there's the newest entrant to the market with a banner debut. Shares of Kava nearly doubling from their offering price, the best day one performance of a billion-dollar IPO so far this year. So all this bullish action got us wondering, is everything really coming up roses? Shouldn't we be more bullish in this environment? We asked our traders to come up with the charts they think tells the real story of this market. Well, first of all, the other, every Courtney... Bono and Tim have been bullish, so I have not, and I want to be clear. So t- days like today, it definitely leaves me scratching my head, but you look at the market, everything clearly is coming up roses. But then you hear the commentary of the Fed yesterday. Again, we said it last night, if you played the game, you hear these comments, what's the market going to do? I thought the market would crater. It did not. I think the China stimulus, whatever you want to call it, clearly is helping, but that's not the only reason why. But the thing that has me scratching my head, if we're going to go right to it, is this twos, tens, which inverted to the tune of about 111 basis points, traded back down about 42. Now it's reinverting. That's not bullish. I mean, what does it speak to? In my opinion, it speaks to the, the front end of the curve where inflation is still a problem as manifesting in the two year. And the back end, which seemingly is going lower for now, at least, means the economy is slowing down. And that is not a healthy long-term recipe for equities, in my opinion. I would agree with that, except that this has been inverted for quite some time now. And it's the recession that never comes. And so at this point, what do you do? I mean, how much do you take stock in that at this point since it hasn't been a great indicator so far? 
It hasn't. I, I think there are actually still a lot of positives when you look at the economy, and that's really what people are starting to price in. We're still seeing unemployment really low. Um, we just saw um, spending data come out, and consumers are still spending like they're really not worried what's going to happen with their jobs, and they're really not worried about wages. And that's really what's keeping the economy going. That's like two-thirds of GDP right now. And so as long as you're continuing to see that, the recession does continue to get pushed out. And I think when you're looking at the markets here, they did hear the Fed yesterday, and what they heard was they're pausing right now, and they were pretty definitive. They said nothing is on the table yet, so they're, they're probably going to hike, and that's what's getting priced in right now. But the Fed, what, a year and a half ago was saying, we're not even thinking about, think about raising interest rates, and now they're saying there's no chance we're going to cut. I think at some point people are saying, well, if the data keeps showing inflation's coming down, aren't you going to follow that? And I think that's why you're seeing the S&P continue to improve, despite what the Fed did yesterday. So your chart is... The S&P. The S&P, which has continued to improve despite um, what, you know, some are seeing as a hawkish Fed yesterday. And I think that's just showing the markets are kind of ignoring them at this point and they're looking past that. I mean, you have to wonder if if the Fed has reached peak, not credibility. What's the opposite? I mean, loss of credibility. The markets are doing this in spite of 12 of 18 members saying two hikes, three members saying 6%. And we have not talked Mm -hmm. about anything with a six handle for a while, and yet here it is. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, I, I think on some level, though, you can say that people believe that the Fed is doing what they're going to say, which is they may raise two more, they're, bad, they're data dependent, and that could mean that they're done. If they're done, uh, if we've peaked on rates, we've peaked on dollar, we've peaked on inflation, um, there's a lot of reasons why equities have done what they've done. By the way, we've been talking a lot about music the last couple of nights mm. on this show. I'm surprised we didn't play Everything is Awesome by Sarah and oh, Tegan, yeah. because that's usually the song we play when the market's going crazy. Too. So our team has some chance to cue that one up for the, for the B block. Um, I, you know, my chart is ultimately the forward P.E. on the Nasdaq. It could be the forward P.E. on the S&P as well. But on the Nasdaq, it's a little bit over 30 times based upon today's close. And if you look at where we were going into uh, you know, pre-COVID, we were probably around a 20 times forward. Take those companies. Take the aforementioned Microsoft, which went to all-time highs today, up 57 percent since January 6th. Why? I mean, I kind of know why, but I don't know why. And I look at that Ford P.E. and we say this all the time and Guy does say this, Dan does say this, and they're right. It's multiple expansion. It's not earnings expansion. Mm -hmm. So the thing that's the most concerning chart to me is this this market at some point is just absurdly expensive. And I'm talking about the biggest companies of the world and some of the companies that don't make a lot of money. Of course, they're expensive. They've gotten more expensive on some level. So that that's the chart, the Ford P.E. But the Ford P.E. on the S&P is at about 19 point four times. Uh, and that, again, if you look at where we were in the five years pre-COVID, we were at 16 and a half. So it's about multiples. But do you think that because this P is so high at this point for the biggest mega cap stocks, that that means that the whole market will come down or that this market is set next to to broaden in terms of the participants? I think the market is broadening. And, and I think uh, since uh, SVB, that knocked what was broadening that was going on. And if you look at the 11 sectors in the S&P, they've all joined in over the last six days. They've all been higher effectively during that time. So um, it implies broadening. But but at some point, you know, it does come back to valuation. Yeah. In terms of uh, this market picture, you're worried about inflation and the consumer. Yep. And crude. So, like you said, first of all, let me turn to Guy and say thank you. I love free stars because I most certainly have not been bullish. I've been bullish certain pockets of the market and that mega cap tech. So I'm going to take my medicine along with you now that we've got the tussin out of the way. Uh, Yes, I have been concentrated on the consumer and crude to me is what tells that story. If you look back a year ago, we were at what, 120? 
Now we're just above 70. And I think when you, we, we know that that's not in like the, the core inflation numbers, but it definitely speaks to the health of the consumer and their ability to, to spend. That's ultimately why we're all roses or perceived to be all roses, because the consumer has been extremely resilient despite all the turmoil that's going on. And so when I look at a chart that, that kind of gives me some, some insight into where the market is, I think when it comes to input costs or the consumer or things of that nature, the crude tells you a picture. And, and if that were to turn and pivot, I think we'd be singing a different tune. Right. I mean, the commodity charts in general have shown charts like, I mean, maybe not exactly, but we've seen lumber prices not pretty. come down. I mean, really, things have rolled over in terms of those sorts of inputs to inflation. So if you look at the bulks, uh, if we're looking at some of the grains uh, and, and there's some, some important stuff that's coming down in price, some of it eventually feeds into lower food prices, although there's some reasons why food prices stay high. Um, I, I think what's encouraging for commodities is that the dollar, uh, I think, is also kind of in a place where it can't move a lot higher. Today's one of those days where ECB went. They've indicated they've got a lot more to do. Um, and that, you know, they, they don't really seem to care that they have a weaker economy and they may be pushing that over. Those central bank differentials have a lot to do with how the dollar is going to trade. And I don't think the dollar is going to uh, go straight down, but I don't think it's going to go a lot lower. I think that's going to support crude a lot. You know, every every one percent move in the dollar is worth about three or four percent in oil prices uh, and other commodities. And I think it's also very good for international investing. So um, commodities, I, I realize we we you know, today's one of those days China had bad numbers and suddenly we think they're now going to stimulate. And, yeah. and it leads to this you know, bad news is good news. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of bad news, good price action guy, I would argue that to that yesterday and today is bad news in terms of hawkish me- message. And today, a rally, good price action. Fantastic. There's no denying. I mean, the price action is so extraordinary. So why don't I just feel like, you know what? Throw your hands it, up. Everything is excellent. It's time to, to come around. That's fair. And we had that, we've been yeah. having that conversation. Like, when are you being dogmatic? When are you just sort of fighting too hard against this? Because, you know, I'm still of the belief that I understand the market's going higher. I understand the exuberance around it. But nothing below the surface has changed. In my opinion, you know, below the surface thing, we're going to talk about commercial real estate. I mean, yeah. that is a shoe that will absolutely drop almost by definition. And liquidity, there's going to be a liquidity problem in this market as well when Treasury needs to raise about a billion, excuse me, $1.4 trillion over the next four months or so. The Fed's not going to monetize that. Somebody's got to, but it's coming from somewhere. Right. So whether it comes out of the equity market or someplace, there's going to be a liquidity drain at some point that's going to have an adverse effect. Obviously, none of this has happened. The market's been great. The lag effect, all this stuff has not manifested itself. But the question is, is it just an inevitable matter of time? I say the answer is yes. Yeah. Corny, would you continue to ride big cap tech at this point? Or would you say, you know what, I want to go to um, the other parts of the market that haven't participated and start rotating? You definitely want to make sure you're rotating. And, and that being said, you still want to own your mega cap tech. Cap- your mega cap techs, they're not going anywhere, but I just don't think you want to be chasing that. I don't think you want to be overexposed, especially if any clients out there haven't rebalanced their portfolios. You'd be surprised if you take a look and see how much larger of your portfolio is taken up right now just because it's had such a run up. So it is a good time. Take some profits, get into the other areas of the market that are just now starting to take up this run. So even though the markets are doing really well, the general markets, you have not missed out on the upswing yet. And that's why you want to make sure you're rotating. All right. Meantime, the Fed lowered its forecast for year-end unemployment to 4.1% from 4.5% in its latest economic projections. But is there more to the labor picture um, than meets the eye? Joining us now is Julia Pollack, chief economist at ZipRecruiter. The company published its Q2 new hire survey this week. Julia, great to have you with us. Um, Thanks, one of, one of the things that surprised me from, from the survey is how easy it is to get a job still. 
still. I mean, the amount of time that you have to spend you know, looking for a job is not very much. And, and uh, job seekers feel enough power in this market to actually ghost employers. Employer ghosting is going up, not down. And that suggests that job seekers are still very confident. Uh, the share that are satisfied with their new jobs keeps rising. Uh, the share getting signing bonuses, getting proactively recruited by employers, all of those keep going up. We have seen a decline in the share getting job uh, wage increases when they are job switching. So we do see a little bit of a pullback, uh, but not that much. Where are you seeing the most strength in terms of industries? So this is still a market very much being propped up by strength in, in consumer spending and in those consumer services industries. Uh, Americans, especially high-wage Americans, are flooding to those Taylor Swift and Lizzo concerts, uh, to the baseball games, and on vacations still. And so those industries are, are continuing to buoy us. Uh, but industries where we would expect to see much more weakness, like construction and manufacturing, given how high interest rates are, uh, have proven remarkably resilient. And part of that's because of the enormous amount of uh, private investment that's being stimulated by uh, subsidies. Are you surprised that the job market has held up this uh, well in spite of 10 consecutive rate hikes? Well, I think you know, everyone is surprised. No one would have expected that raising rates 5% would cause unemployment to, to fall or hold steady. Uh, everyone expected that that would hurt the labor market more. It, it seems now that that may not need to happen, uh, that inflation is coming down quite meaningfully. Uh, many of the real-time private sector indicators suggest that it's actually coming down faster than official statistics show, uh, and that we're closer perhaps to that 2% target uh, than, than Fed members yesterday uh, uh, suggested. So if, if just, wage growth has been sort of the the fly in the ointment here. And so can we have a, a situation where wage growth may be slowing, which it has been, but it still remains strong, even though inflation has come down? And, and that's okay, because that would imply, I mean, if I'm going to extrapolate onto corporations, that corporations will be feeling the pain in terms of margin compression. Yes. Yeah, so right now, you know, workers have, have seen 25 consecutive months of real wage declines. The only workers who've received a real wage boost are the lowest wage workers, but they've also been hardest hit by inflation and have very little disposable uh, income left after essentials have gone up so much in price. Uh, and you know, even though inflation is coming down, I mean, consumers are, are looking at what's happened and they're looking at cumulative inflation. They're saying prices should have gone up just 6% since the start of the pandemic. Instead, they've gone up 17% and my wages haven't kept up. So there will still be a tension between employers and job seekers and workers in those conversations about offers, about uh, uh, raises, about promotions with workers saying, hey, I've been left behind here and uh, you need to catch up. So that'll continue to be to be uh, attention in the market and, and it will keep inflation higher than, than the Fed would like, but we're seeing so much relief on, on other fronts uh, that I think the picture is still quite bullish. All right, Julia, great to see you, thank you. Julia thank Pollack. You. Um, and all that, I mean, if I'm reading between the lines, tells me that the consumer may not be in as strong a position as one might think if you were to think that, I mean, prices are coming down, but prices, went up a lot and wage growth hasn't really kept up, Guy. 
So lots unravel there. Yeah. I mean, the, I think exactly right. I think people are surprised by how resilient the job market is. It's like 1.7 jobs for everybody looking for mm -hmm. a job. I mean, that number's been pretty stagnant for a while. It's incredible. Wage growth is still there. But you know what? The gist of this inflation problem is comes in services and comes in shelter. That's not going down. And the comps on this inflation are getting more difficult moving forward, given what happened this time last year. So there's so many cross currents here. But in terms of what you just said, Consumer now with a trillion dollars-ish of credit card debt and rising interest rate environment, it does not paint a particularly rosy picture. And we say it all the time. The U.S. consumer will spend until something scares them, and then it stops on a dime. The thing that's going to scare them potentially is the market, but it has not happened yet. All right, let's turn now to a developing story on Goldman Sachs. The Wall Street Journal reporting that the Federal Reserve and the SEC are looking into the role the investment bank played during Silicon Valley Bank's final days. Leslie Pickers got the details here. Leslie. Hey, Mel. Yeah, Goldman Sachs disclosed in regulatory filings a few weeks ago that various governmental bodies were in touch with the firm as part of a broader probe into the downfall of Silicon Valley Bank. The Wall Street Journal reporting a short while ago that the Fed and the SEC are investigating, and the Justice Department has subpoenaed Goldman as part of its investigation into SVB. The journal cites people familiar with the matter in its reporting. Now, the crux of Goldman's involvement stems from an attempted capital raise that took place right before the bank uh, failed. The Wall Street Journal said regulators are looking into whether Goldman's investment banking side and trading division were communicating about the portfolio sale. Those are supposed to be separate divisions that have kind of a, a, a wall in between them. Now, I haven't been able to confirm specific details about the investigation and which agencies are doing it, but a spokesman for Goldman Sachs said in a statement, quote, as we have publicly disclosed in our Q 10Q, Goldman Sachs is cooperating with and providing information to various governmental bodies in connection with their investigations and inquiries into SVB, including the firm's business with SVB in or around March 2023. The firm told SVB in writing that it would not act as an advisor on the sale and urged SVB to hire a third-party financial advisor. So an SEC spokesman said that they do not comment on the existence or non-existence of a possible investigation. The DOJ and Fed declined to comment. Mel Melissa. All right, Leslie, thanks. Leslie Picker, I mean, not too much, uh, you know, up 0.4%, but we did see an intraday reaction here. This comes just a couple of days after the Wall Street Journal had this article about Goldman Sachs, about partners being unhappy with David Solomon uh, because of uh, the money-losing consumer business venture that has to be closed down effectively now. Um, DJ Soul not spending enough time on the job. Lloyd Blankfein holding sway at a bar at a company retreat um, with, with people saying, you know what, he said that he's not, that DJ Soul is not spending enough time in the office. Guy's laughing. No, I'm not laughing. This is serious because... No, it is. I'm not, right, believe me, I'm not all laughing. All of this snowballs here and becomes a problem in the boardroom. Well... It may. Um, you know, the regulatory dynamics of actually, you know, being a buyer, potentially of securities portfolio and also advising on a cap raise are things I'll let you know, all those people sort through. I mean, I think Goldman has sat in many complex positions mm -hmm. many times throughout the years. By the way, they're the first call for every company. Let's be clear. I mean, who, who was seen as the one who could do the best job here? I'll say something else. I mean, if I if I look at a year, we just talked about what the market has done. If I look back over the last 12 months, um, Goldman versus the S&P. It's flat for all this bad news and for all this and that and for an investment banking market that is completely dried up. I mean, Goldman's performance isn't that bad. So we, we had the, the DJ Saul, you know, uh, 
discussion on this desk. And my guess is, um, yes, during more difficult times, that becomes a bigger deal. But um, the things we all do on our weekends that are around, you know, having fun with music, uh, if you could only see me, um, you know, it would be it would be pretty funny. I mean, you guys spend a lot of time in your um, Spotify playlist. 100%. The one that you curate. Yeah. Oh. No, and, and Tim is, listen, Tim is sort of the Don Henley of the Wall Street community, a drummer that can sing as well, as you know, it's Melissa true. Lee. Yeah. Listen, real quick about, there's clearly a faction that does not like David Solomon out there for whatever reason. It's not a Goldman insider. It came from Bear Stearns, the whole thing. The stock performance under his leadership has actually done rather well, number one. And listen, they've made some missteps without question on the consumer side of things. That's what happens when you take chances. But there's clearly a bullseye on his back. And more and more of these stories coming out, you see what's going on. But in terms of the timeline, you know, he's probably towards the end of his tenure. If you go back historically and look at how long all of them men, by the way, have lasted, he's right up against it. So this is what you start to see as people start to sort of navigate and try to position themselves for the job. All right. Coming up, we are watching Adobe After Hours shares on the move after reporting results of details in the quarter next. And we're driving into Lyft, the company's annual meeting, wrapping up almost as quickly as it started. <laughs> Got all the details when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money and Earnings Alert on Adobe. Shares moving higher after a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Let's get straight to Deidre Bosa for the details. Debo. Mel, and a raise as well, not hurting the action in the after hours. Um, unsurprisingly, the call is still underway, but a lot of talk of generative AI CEO Shantanu Narayan uh, saying they're bringing generative AI to life as a co-pilot. That's something we've heard him say before about their new product, Firefly, that is he says getting a lot of adoption. He's saying the strategy focuses on data, models, and interfaces. Investors these days, though, they don't want to just hear about product launches. They want to hear about monetization as well. So the Adobe team trying to sort of feed that itch for investors, saying that there are new monetization opportunities in a number of places. Generative AI tools are going to drive higher ARPUs and retention. For Firefly, they're going to have a standalone consumer product and an enterprise version. Less detail, though, on those hard numbers. They say that they're going to sort of give more details around pricing once they have some real adoption. Mel, I'm also listening for any details around that Figma acquisition that has faced some regulatory pressures. Haven't heard that yet, but again, the call is still underway. We're only about 23 minutes into it. While we have you, Dee, I do want to ask you about the Lyft annual meeting. I mean, what was so shocking was <laughs> it lasted 15 minutes. <laughs> what, what, what are the headlines out of the meeting? 
Um, I could give them to you in about two seconds because, as you said it, Mel, the meeting lasted less than 15 minutes. There was only two questions. One question, what are you doing about the stock price? It is near record lows. Um, the new CEO, David Risher, he said that it's going to take time. He said it's a lagging indicator, but he's been in this role for a few months. And I think investors probably wanted more on the strategy here, what he's going to do to turn it around. We haven't heard a lot of detail on that. Still losing ground to Uber, still really struggling at those levels. So it, it was stunning to me, Mel, as well. It was over so quickly, and I think expectations were a little higher given how it's trading. All right. Uh, Deidre, thanks. Deidre Bosa. Tim, you weren't asking that question, were you? Because Lyft is the L in your lag trade. It's really dragging you down. It is the the L in the lags trade. Um, And look at that. Again, uh, you know, how happy I would be if I hadn't picked Lyft. Everything else is really (laughs) doing quite well. Uh, I, I still believe in the story. I still believe in the, the, you know, the, the fact that it's, it's a clear number two in a space that I think needs more than one and, and a space that some of the macro dynamics in the economy uh, are not the reasons the stock's trading where it is. We'll see. I, I certainly hope you hear more. I am actually, I mean, I guess you have to hold annual meetings, right? That's a requirement. Mm-hmm. You know? But for them to stop after two questions and not expect a question about strategy and what they're going to do to help shareholders at an annual meeting is kind of shocking. Well, that and share price, which is why you're (laughs) tuning in in the first place. So, yes, I mean, I guess my commentary might be longer than their meeting. But I mean, the the (laughs) thing that really sticks out to me, if I'm going to make the bull case, and that's an if, is you look at the price of sales and it's literally 0.9 or just below one for Lyft and it's two and a half for Uber. And so if you Yes, they're number two, but you would expect some conversion there. I think that might be the bull case. But until I'm given more than 15 minutes of a clear path towards how they're going to turn this thing around, I think it's, it, it's tough to buy in. Yeah, and I think what's tough, too, is they're, they're really losing market share to Uber right now. And Uber just does have, I mean, they have bigger scale, right? They have more they can put into marketing. They have a lot more they can put to get those client acquisitions. Um, but, I mean, when, you're, when I'm going out and an Uber and a Lyft, I really have no loyalty to either. There really is for most of the clients. You just check and see which price is better. They're and the so, same drivers. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the same cars. And so I think that's where it's hard for them to be going to be able to increase their prices and where are they going to cut costs when they need to compete with Uber. So I do think this is going to be a problem for them. I agree there needs to be two in the industry. I just don't know if it's going to lead their stock price higher in the near term. Quick on Adobe here. You look at the move it's had. Tim has actually mentioned this over the last couple of weeks. So the quarter was fine. But if you read between the lines, actually guided lower revenue for full year. Stock that's trading probably now with this move 30 times uh, forward earnings, probably trades 20, uh, excuse me, 11-ish times revenue, which is not cheap. I mean, it's an expensive stock, but people are getting geeked up about the whole AI thing. So when does it end? We're still significantly lower than its all-time, which was north of 700 bucks. Not to suggest it's getting there, but you've seen what's happened with these names. People... Valuation doesn't clearly matter. And if AI is mentioned, these stocks go up. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Sammy Scoop. One long beaten down chip stock seeing a turnaround in recent weeks. And one of our traders sees even more upside ahead. The name he's biting into next. Plus, batting down the hatches, there's a real estate storm passing through. And our next guest says, even the one-time safe havens offer no shelter from the storm. How he's riding out the office space hurricane. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look at the top chip names so far this month. NVIDIA and Intel among the biggest winners alongside names like Teradyne, Microchip Technologies and Broadcom. Tim is making a big bullish call on one of these semi-stocks. Um, you have been adding to your position. Been adding to position. And to be clear, right, I'm someone that's been on the wrong side of Intel during a big move down. And, and, and But I, I also trimmed some of that at some point. And I've been adding, and some of it is the, the, the technicals that have uh, meant to move above 31 and a move above the downtrend and some above the 200-day and things that, that I do watch. But the story is more, um, first of all, last week at a Jeffries event, they actually uh, pre-announced their June quarter. And, and the numbers were were at the high end of a range. So this is a company that we've been more worried about. I know they haven't taken part in AI and this and that, but we're more worried about CPU. And and the view is, uh, certainly the view was, that they were not only losing market share in data center, but it was getting worse and worse. Um, What the CEO or what the CFO was able to reaffirm is it's actually a little bit better. Um, and I think there's a story there that's part of uh, the longer term. They have exciting products coming up. Their Sierra chip in 24 is real. There's real excitement around it. And, and I just think you get to a place here where the worst in Intel is over. And that's often a time to buy a stock. It's hardly a front runner in the AI race here. Um, but if you look at how underowned it is institutionally, that's part of this call. I think on the chart, you can go to 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. Right now, the PE is challenging because it hasn't really been profitable. You're agreeing with that level. I am. June tw- exactly right. If you look at if you look at a chart, 40 is where it should go. Valuation is not ridiculous compared to what we've seen in the space. And they have a catalyst in the form of June 21st. I think they have an analyst conference, investor day, whatever they're calling it, which is obviously coming up. So I think this stock under the radar screen can continue to play catch up to the rest of the space, despite the fact that they're challenged. Yeah, I mean, it fits into Tim's laggard theme, and I, I tend to agree. It's it's just one of those situations where I think the worst is already priced in. With that said, I probably won't be diving in with, with both feet. NVIDIA is still kind of where I live, and I understand it's not cheap and it's no, at nosebleed levels. But you are seeing what is happening with this whole AI situation, and I think they are squarely the beneficiary of that. And so for me, I want to be in the best name and what right now is the best space. Are you long NVIDIA stock, and are you hedging? With the, I'm long NVIDIA space? stock, okay. and we mentioned this on a previous yeah. show. I have trimmed it. Mm-hmm. From here, being where my cost basis is, from here, I'll probably let the thing ride. All right. Coming up, are we in the eye of the commercial real estate hurricane? Why your next guest warns, there's nowhere to hide. More on the mm. office space slowdown ahead. And wheels up for Delta. Shares flying above the clouds, extending their longest ever winning streak. But is there more fuel for this rally? We got the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Ripping higher as investors digested yesterday's Fed decision. All sectors finishing in the green and the S&P and Nasdaq up more than 1%, both on six-day winning streaks. The Dow jumping 430 points. And speaking of streaks, shares of SoFi breaking its record nine-day run. The stock dropping as much as 9% today after a downgrade at Oppenheimer. Analysts saying they're still bullish, but that SoFi's valuation reflects their raised outlook. Shares closed off the lows, but still in the red. 
Well, an activist investor in the commercial real estate space has a new warning out today. He says the hurricane is spreading to an area many have considered a safe haven, medical labs. And there's one company he says may be right in the eye of the storm. Jonathan Litt is behind the call. He's the chief investment officer at Land and Buildings. Jonathan, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Um, Let's get straight to this name. It's a fascinating report. It is? Alexandria Real Estate. Okay. And you did a study of 495 buildings. Right. So the last time I was here, we were in process, or I would have chatted about it. Uh, We know office is bad. People are not returning to the office. This company operates office lab space. And most people thought the stock was insulated from work from home. Uh, And the stock is trading at a very substantial premium. It's cheaper than it was, but it was a, a premium. And we said, well, maybe we should buy it down here. Uh, and then we started researching it. Uh, and everything was lining up. And the company saying, everybody's back. Uh, and we'd been using the cell phone data. I think I talked about it last time for Six Flags. And uh, we said, let's take a look at the buildings using the cell phone data. And we did 20 buildings, down 50% on attendance. So we did another 20. And I said, you know what? Do every building. Uh, and we did every building. It took you know, a month or so. And it's down 50%. Across the board. Across the, the company's portfolio. Their largest market, which is Boston, is down 56%. This is going the way of office, and it trades at a massive premium to office. Uh, I think it's going to be a real challenge. If you're Pfizer or Eli Lilly or Bristol Meyer, when those leases come up, you don't need it. People are working from home. All this important research we're doing, people are doing it from home. All the administrative people, they're doing it from home. They'll go to the lab for a few hours a day. Uh, but then they go home and finish up their work. Is there, um, how do you think about the leases in terms of, is there uh, a time, is there a common, I don't know if they're like vintages for <laughs> years in which a lot of the leases will come due? Where, where it's really- yeah, so they have about 20% over the next several years and then it just continues to grow. You know, I'll just digress for a moment. So Blackstone owns a large portfolio called Biomed. Uh, John Gray was commenting on this uh, about two weeks ago. And he said, look, vacancies are going to tick up and rents are gonna be softer. Um, I agree with that. I think it's a little bit of an understatement. I think it's gonna be much worse than that. Biomed, we did look at their buildings as well. Biomed's buildings, um, they did a better job underwriting them and they're not as uh, badly hit as Alexandria's, uh, but Alexandria's got a real problem. They've also got a lot under construction, right? So there's like a pipeline coming to the market in terms of lab space that will be available, which will make it even worse. I mean, I would think that lab space is more expensive to build out. Correct. So there's about 20% new supply coming to market, uh, which is on top of what's likely increasing vacancy is people shrink their footprint. I think I talked last time in Washington, D.C., people are shrinking the footprints uh, by, uh, by about 30%. Uh, so you're going to have supply from shrinking footprints, supply from new construction. And the reality is when we looked at Alexandria, um, their average rents around 50 bucks. That's really not lab rents. Lab rents are like 100 bucks. Uh, and so this new construction, maybe they're going to get 100, but at 50 bucks, you got no competitive advantage in the space that you have. I'm getting into the weeds here a little bit. I apologize for that, but I think it's going to be a real struggle. Um, but just to be clear, you are short the stock now. We are short. Um, have you been building up the short position? We have. Originally, we started thinking it was going to be a long. Uh-huh. Uh, and then as we got into the cell phone data, and the cell phone data, I don't know how much you guys are hearing about it <laughs> on the show, but it's fascinating. And I think more and more people are going to use it. It's just uh, remarkable. Oh, I think what's interesting in, in terms of how you use it is that you took a look at minimum 60 minutes in the building to eliminate, like, some guy delivering a package. Correct. Or, you know, a visitor to the building. You really want to know who is working in the building. So Yeah, that and they have this data which 
uh, shows how long people that are there for more than 60 minutes, how long are they there? Uh, how long is their cell phone there? And it's like 350 minutes. So it's not even an eight-hour day or a 10-hour right. day, right? They're in, they're out, they go back home. It's, it's really interesting. Maybe we bury the lead on this one, Jonathan's my fault, but you see downside uh, to Alexandria as much as 40%. That's correct. For this to be valued where office is valued, it's going to be down 30 to 40. And what's interesting, I was just before the show talking to a banker about a variety of things, and I said, did you know this about lab space? He said, I had no idea. He goes, I'm going to go see if we have credit out to them. Uh, because he's concerned, right, if they're in the line of credit, uh, what's going to happen. And so I think you're going to start seeing financing for this space get quite tight. Um, while we have you here, we've been hearing more and more reports about um, property owners abandoning their properties in San Francisco, Westfield Mall, for instance. You know, they're handing back the keys. They don't want it anymore. They don't want to operate. Um, and I'm wondering if, if there is more pain to come in a city like San Francisco, and are there ways that you are participating in that sort of decline? We've avoided it. Okay. We, we haven't, you know, we're short office, which is right. there. Uh, in uh, another company, Park Hotels, gave back uh, 3,000 rooms in two hotels. Uh, and uh, we looked at the cell phone data. It's down 50% number of people in those properties. Again, you look at a traditional hotels, we're off maybe five uh, outside of San Fran. San Fran's got a real problem in the office, in the lab space, in the hotels. The mall that was handed back uh, last week, I think it was, uh, was down 42 percent uh, in terms of people in the space. Uh, and I don't know what gets people back because people commute into San Francisco and with work from home policies, they're not. And in fact, I didn't realize this. Seven percent decline in the population in San Francisco. I mean, you think about New York. We're not down that much. Most you know, major markets are not down that much. It's a real problem for San Francisco. Jonathan, it's always great to see you. Thank you. Great. Jonathan Thank you. Um, by the way, we reached out to Alexandria for a statement. We invited their execs to appear on Fast Money. We are waiting for a response. But in the meantime, uh, let's trade this. It's a fascinating study. Well, especially because Alexandria has been seen as very resilient because of in the life science sector, the, the quality of their assets. But but, it, you know, it, it's interesting because I'm just staring at a report from J.P. Morgan, not picking on J.P. Morgan. And let's see who's right or wrong. But they're overweight on the stock. I mean, they they, they see above average NOI growth uh, and, and that ultimately their development program is also adding value through a number of, of kind of uh, ways they're allocating capital. So so this isn't a landslide view out there, even though in the office space, it's it's pretty clear. I, I just think the banks themselves may be the ones that push a lot of these guys. They're not lending. They're not going to be extending credit in the way that they used to. That's the, the kind of the, the irony here is banks that have been seen as the weakened players are going to be the ones that are really forcing problems that eventually come back and hurt them. Yeah. Court. Yeah, and I think this is probably one of the biggest questions I'm getting from clients right now is what's happening with commercial real estate. I think this is also why when you look at real estate, you want to make sure that you have a diversified portfolio because there's other things like industrials, cell towers, re residential. It is not in the same position that specifically like offices or San Francisco is in. And to his point, um, maybe we're even seeing the, uh, the um, medical space in there, too. So just make sure that you are well spread out. I would not put all your eggs in that basket. I think the, the concerns are valid. All right. Coming up, pack your bags because we are going on a trip. Delta and Disney moving higher today. We'll bring you the trades on both of those travel names next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Delta Airlines cruising to a new 52-week high today after announcing it will resume its dividend at 10 cents a share. It has now extended its record win streak to 15 straight days, and it hasn't been the only airline taking off this month. 
Delta, American, United, all up double digits already in June. When did you give this as your final trade? This was uh, last week sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was last week. Well, I, 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 I like to trade airline stocks. I've been long Delta a long time. I traded around. I say they're the greatest trading stocks in the market in what's been the greatest trading market of, of my lifetime. Delta is up 15 straight days. Um, I think up to, up to 52-ish, you even have some more room. But I've been selling upside calls up about 15% here. And, and I'm happy to take this. This is also the A in the LAGS acronym. Just too bad there's lift. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not to go back there's to lift. It's there. really just dragging you down there. there. Um, Bonowin? Yeah, I mean, I just point to the free cash flow. You look at $1.2 billion in uh, free cash flow in, in that March quarter after burning the previous quarters. You look at Air, American Airlines. That's another one that I'd actually look at. It's like just shy of $3 billion. And you compare those versus the regionals, your loves, your JetBlue, which are burning cash. So I think if you're going to be involved in the airline space, you want to be in that international sector. Do you like airlines? I do. Yeah. And I think that's this is what you're seeing, especially with like the consumer spending data that's coming out is people are still spending on travel and leisure, hospitality. I mean, this is one of the areas that I think is justified to continue have having growth going forward it is not as extremely high multiples. It's been hit really hard after COVID. It has not come back the way that people expected it to. Um, but I think it's justified, too. And I think it's definitely something you want to take a look at. All right. Let's get to Disney now. The company announcing just in the last hour that CFO Christine McCarthy will step down to take family medical leave. The entertainment giant naming Parks Division CFO Kevin Lansbury as an interim replacement. Disney's options seeing plenty of action today. Mike's got the action. Mike Ho. Yeah, so Disney was the third busiest among the uh, consumer discretionary single stocks today. That by itself isn't so unusual. What was unusual was the activity activity in the July 80 puts. We saw over 24,500 of those trading for about 25 cents a contract. That was looking a lot due to the institutional blocks, like a single trader was purchasing those. Buyers of those puts are obviously making a bearish bet that Disney could fall quite sharply, actually. That's a bet of more than 14% to the downside by July expiration. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Mike Cuff from Options Action. Tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, a pop and a drop in the consumer sector. What is causing these stocks to move in opposite directions? We've got the answers and the trades straight ahead. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Buzzkill on Kroger. Shares of the grocery store chain dropping nearly 3% after missing revenue estimates and just beating earnings. The company warning lower-end consumers are spending less as economic conditions worsen. Um, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised when we hear about the dollar stores talking about their consumers going to food banks now, guys. Yeah, no, it shouldn't be surprised. How do you trade the stock? There's no earnings growth here. You obviously heard what they just said. At some place, there's a value play here, but it's unfortunately... <laughs> Not at these levels. You know, the low that we saw over the last couple months was about 43 and a half. It looks like it's going to take that out. You know, this stock has a chance to probably trade in the high 30s. Then maybe take another look based on what they just said. All right. In the meantime, Target topping the tape. The big box retailer jumping on the back of a Bernstein note, which is calling the recent sell-off over the company's pride controversy a buying opportunity. The stock closing the day up nearly 3.5%, but is still down more than 14% over the past month. They make the point that part of that drop was because of their earnings, but the bulk of it, two-thirds of it, is since the pride controversy. Um, and they say that it's our, everything's been priced in. Well, look, look at my Budweiser. We talked about that one, too. That was a final trade. And I think some of this stuff is, is absurd. But I, 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 
some of those same themes that are hurting grocers. Uh, let's be clear. I mean, the, the, the product mix at Target became a lot of grocery and the move away from general merchandise is only going to increase. But if we have price disinflation or deflation, doesn't help for Target. Target, very cheap to Walmart. Remember, this is a pair trade. You can also uh, and it's underperformed probably 30 percent relative to Walmart, which has been on a tear over the last few days. So I kind of like it. Yeah, I mean, I thought what was interesting in this note is that the analyst is saying this is no Bud Light situation because there's no clear evidence that market share has actually been lost to competitors. It's not like a Bud Light is losing to Modelo, which is now the number one beer selling in the United States. Um, but at the same time, because of the mix, these target customers could just be deciding not to spend at all. It's not a matter exactly. of going elsewhere. It's like, I'm not going to buy that T-shirt or that lawn chair, period. Well, I think that's been the problem with Target is they have a really high level of discretionary products. So you just don't have to go there and, you know, buy your clothes or whatever it is. But I do think what may benefit them, and you brought this up, is they have had a lot more grocery. And if you are actually seeing, like, your higher income consumers trading down to think, like, less people are going to um, Whole Foods and more people are going to Trader Joe's. And you can see that benefit, like, a Target, too. And then they may also buy their T-shirt or whatever it is while they're in there. Um, so, yes, I think some of this might be overdone, but y- you have to weigh this. It's two things happening. It's discretionary products, people not spending, but also what's going on with the pride stuff. That'll probably blow over. Yeah, the pride thing is, is probably a short-term phenomenon, and I agree there. What I don't agree with is the fact that we're glossing over this half a billion dollars in shrink that they alluded to. Like that, that wasn't a made-up story, and I think part of the price action of the stock is just that. The move uh, towards rotating what their inventory is and some of the past inventory woes that they've had before, but ultimately the fact that there's so much theft going on. Ultimately, that eats into the bottom line. I think that's a big reason why the stock is where it is. The downturn in Target started in the summer of 2021. It obviously got amplified when their, when their whole inventory mess, and it really hasn't fixed itself. This last headline is sort of the last, but it's not entire story. I mean, people will look at that. It's not what's going on here. Target's problems are Target-specific, but... To the point about Kroger, they're consumer-specific as well. So I understand why people would upgrade on valuation, but it feels like there's another leg left. I could see you buying some lawn chairs at Target. Why wouldn't you? You I mean, I just and just sitting on your front lawn. You're you're that kind of guy. Well, you know, know? yelling yelling at the clouds. No, I don't (laughs) yell at clouds. Just yelling at people, possibly. (laughs) Get off my lawn. People walk by, and you know, people, you know, their dogs. You know what dogs do? Certain things. What time is it? Time to probably time for us to take a commercial break. (laughs) Time for the final trades on the other side. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Courtney. Uh, VWO, I think a lot is really lining up here for emerging markets, especially with some stimulus in China. I'd take a look. Tim. I think everything is awesome at FedEx if you're going into their numbers. So I, I think the, the comps get a lot better at Express. I think that the Dow theorists are having their time right now. Bonowin. Don't look now, but look at the outperformance of small caps over the last month or so. IWM for, for a momentum trade. Guy. Stephanie back in EC was playing Chrissy Teigen and something. Everything is awesome. It might be the worst song ever written in the history of Everything is awesome. PSX, Melms. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
necessaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 